0: We are in our, one of the finest hours of the church age. I mean, every generation has a finest hour, uh, but we're in this generation and we're in the end time generation where God talks about the glory of the latter house being more glorious than the glory in the former house. And God talks about the latter rain of his spirit pouring down. And, uh, and so um, we're in that time and we're, we are part of this generation and God has caused you to be born in this time. And given you something inside your spirit um, that is vital for what he needs to do in the nations right now. And so, um, you know, Isaiah talks about nations are going to be coming to the brightness of our rising. God is saying in that scripture, arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Gross darkness will cover the earth. uh, Deep darkness the people. But the glory of the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will be seen in you and it says that kings will come to the brightness of our rising. Kings are coming on in. Nations are coming on in, and we will see this before we are raptured out of here. And so with all of that magnificent prophecy, like we said in the first week, God needs us to pray. He doesn't just want us to pray. He needs us to pray. And we looked at scriptures, seeing how God has prophesied things, God has declared things, but unless someone responds on earth and starts to pray that into being, it, it will not happen. And go. so... Um, we are responsible for our generation to pray these things in. And so we talked last week about the voice of the Lord and how the voice of the Lord splits these cedars of lemon on it. It moves things in the wilderness. It gives birth to things. And we said that that voice is given or it is activated in the earth as you and I are declaring his glory. And so as we're declaring his glorious name, the name of the I am, and like this morning, if we know what we're actually doing in the spirit realm when we're praising him, we're actually putting to, putting to flight the plans of the enemy in your life personally, around you, and around our nation. That's what's happening when we're praising. And so praise and thanksgiving and worship is, a, is, is, is one kind of prayer. Uh, it's a worship, a prayerful worship. And we had a look at Jehoshaphat, and we saw that as they came up against the enemy, they just started to to declare his glory. And as they declared his glory, God sent confusion amongst the enemy camp, and they ended up killing each other. And that's what's happening in the spirit realm. And so praise the Lord. Revivals follow prayer. Revivals follow prayer. There's a a gentleman, Dr. Edwin Ur, and he's a leading scholar of revivals, And uh, I want to just read, before we start this morning uh, and go into the Word, I want to read some of his studies on revivals all the way through, and just to have a look and see. And if anybody wants this paper, I've got the link here that you can see he's gone through and he's kind of just um, highlighted some of the magnificent things that have been uh, uh, brought forth in the earth uh, with prayer. And it says here, this is just a a couple of clips that I'm going to read, it says, a man um, a quiet man, this is on one of the revivals in the 1800s, a quiet man called Jeremy Empher had been appointed to the Dutch Reformed Church as a missionary to the Central Business District. Because the church was in decline and the life of the city was somewhat similar, he didn't know what to do. He was a layman, and he called a prayer meeting in the city to be held at noon every Wednesday. His first meeting was on the 23rd of September, 1857. Eventually, five other men turned up. So he was just by himself, just by himself praying. And then eventually, five other men turned up. Two weeks later, they decided to move a daily schedule of prayer. Within six months, 10,000 men were gathering to pray, and the movement spread across America six months later. Within two years, there were one million believers added to the church, and the movement swept out to touch England, Scotland, Wales, Ireland was, on, um, was, and then it goes on to say, Ireland was a tough nut to crack as any. But when the news reached Ireland of what was happening in America, James McClellan gathered three young men to meet for prayer in the Kells School Hall in the, um, in the 14th of March, 1859. They prayed and prayed for revival. Within a couple of months, a similar prayer meeting was launched in Belfast. And then from, that was in March, March, April, May, June, and June, and so, by September the twenty-first, twenty thousand people assembled to pray for the whole of Ireland. It started off with three. God. It was a similar. Uh, it, it was later estimated that hundred thousand converts resulted directly from these prayer movements in Ireland. And it was also been established that within the years of eighteen fifty-nine to sixty, m- more than a million, one one million one hundred and fifty thousand people were added to the church. Isn't that amazing? Prayer. The, the place was broken down, and if you have a look at the detail of what was going on, Bibles were being burned in the streets in America. Um, all kinds of stuff was happening at that time, and then it moved from America through. Now, let me just read you this part here. It, said, um, it says, when one group... Um, When a group known as the Overseas Missionaries saw um, that after 25 years of work in in India, all that could be um, reported after 25 years was 2,000 believers in 25 churches. Um, After 25 years, you're thinking, God, (laughs) looking at New Zealand right now. They adopted a new strategy. In their homeland, they recruited 1,000 people committed to pray for the work in India just for 15 minutes a day. 15 minutes per day. Within a few years, the church had exploded to 73,000 and 550 churches. Within a few years, after 25 years of pushing and pushing and pushing and they couldn't get results, they decided to enlist 1,000 people to pray for 15 minutes a day. And within two years, 73,000 people born again and 500 churches, 550 churches. It says, we cannot afford to ignore, this is this, is this gentleman on revival and after his long Um, article. He says, we cannot afford to ignore the warnings from our spiritual forefathers. There will be no glorious end time harvest until God finds people who will will embrace and nurture the fruitful seeds of revival, faith, humility, repentance, and prayer. Now this is where we're at, church. We are at this place in God where we will embrace. We will embrace faith, Humility, repentance, and prayer. Um, Part of this article is saying that the Western churches are doing everything with the lights, with the concerts, with the advertising, with all the latest things, and we're not seeing the souls come on in. It says, but they don't wanna know prayer. Yongi Cho said the same thing. The Western world doesn't want to know prayer. Well, we're gonna put our hand up here, and we're gonna say we we wanna know. We are prayers. We are prayers in this house, and God has called this church to herald revival in our nation. We're not the only church, but we're one of them that's gonna put our hand up and we're gonna say, yes, Lord, here we are. Here we are. We're about our father's business. You see, Hagen says, and I wanna just quote him, he says, prayer gives birth to these things and it needs to be taught again. Before his death in 2003, he said, this needs to be taught again. And he went to heaven, kind of grieving because of the lack of prayer that he was seeing in the nation. You see, God says that we're his house of prayer for all nations. And I want to read this to you. It's not in your outline because it was such a long, it was such a long scripture, but let me read Isaiah 56 and it's verse 4 to 8. At the end of verse 8, it says, my house will be a house of prayer. But if I read the whole of this verse, let's catch the heart of what God is saying here about nations and peoples. And so it says, for thus says the Lord. So God is talking. He says, the Enoch who keeps my Sabbath and chooses what pleases me and holds fast to my covenant, even them I will will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name that is better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cast off. Also, the sons of foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to serve Him and to the, love the name of the Lord and to be His servants. everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast to my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain, and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. In my house of prayer, their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will I ex- be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all, for all nations. This is, this is our Father speaking. The Enoch, that's the one that hasn't got an inheritance. The people that are, 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 are on the sidewalk of life, God wants them being brought in. He wants to give them a name, and he wants to give them an eternal inheritance. And he wants to build them into his house of prayer. He wants nations, but he needs us to pray. Yeah, right. He yeah. needs us to partner with him on the earth, and he needs us to give ourselves to prayer. You see, each generation is responsible for their generation, and we will answer for our generation. Yeah, right. Hagen says we will answer before God for our generation. What have we done? Have we given ourselves fully to what God has called us to do—that we are God's house of prayer Amen. for all nations. We are. You're His house. Yeah. I'm His house. Yeah. The Holy Spirit dwells oh, yeah. inside us. We are His temple. Amen. We are His house of prayer for all nations. Amen. The greatest calling is to open our mouth and let Him fill it with His spiritual language, Kurabasara and release that and give it to Him and allow Him to operate and be the house of prayer. God. God says in Psalm two, uh, Psalm 2 verse eight, he says, ask me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. And so God is needing us on earth to ask him. And that word ask is that it's a kind of a demanding that's coming forth. The nations, New Zealand is our inheritance the people on the street that we're driving past and we're seeing, they belong to us. And God wants a righteous indignation to take a hold of our spirit and to command and to loose the bands of wickedness that are tying these people up and the spirits that are over swaying people. Spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places, blinding the minds of the people. And we have the authority to stop it and to command him to let my people go. That's the voice that needs to be heard and is being heard and beginning to being heard. Hallelujah. And so God says, prayer brings healing to the nations. Prayer brings healing to us. Yeah, that's right. It brings healing to the nations." Yeah, you look yeah. at this, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. He says, my, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I'm going to hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. God. That's God speaking. That's yeah, a promise. Hallelujah. That is a promise of God. God is not holding the unsaved responsible. He's not saying if they are the ones that pray, no, they don't know to pray. Yeah. We're the ones that know. Right. We have the word of the Lord. Amen. Right. And God says, if we humble ourselves, and we're going to have a look at that in just a moment, now it's interesting. If you have a look, this is two chronicles 7, 4, uh, seven fourteen. Now if we go and swap four seventeen and, and and look at fourteen seven, look at the result of their prayer. Two Chronicles, God's into numbers. <laughs> two Chronicles fourteen, seven, look at the result of their prayer. It says, Therefore he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and make walls around them, towers and gates and bars, while the land is yet before us, because we have sought. The Lord, our God, we have sought him and he has given us rest on every side. And so they built and they prospered. Now that is the result of 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, humbling themselves, yeah. seeking his face, turning from their ways that God hears from heaven and God rebuilds, rebuilds, Hallelujah. rebuilds, rebuilds. Now that happens in our lives personally. And then that happens on a national scale. Amen. And so this morning, I want to share with you, just to begin with, I want to share with you some of Stephen and my testimony of scriptures that really moved us personally when we came to faith in um, 1979 and 1980, 81. Um, and just to have a look at some of the scriptures that really became bedrock and locked us into walking with our God and setting our face on him and not looking back. Praise you know, when we, when we take scriptures and we look at the word and we, we can see people's personal testimonies in the word and we look at that, that becomes my testimony because I want to be like that. I want to be like the Moseses and I want to be like Samuel. Yeah. I want to be like Jesus, Amen. his commitment to God. I want to be like Daniel. No fault was found in this man. I read that and I say, God, that's me, I want that. And you know, when we read the word and we read those, those testimonies and those scriptures, the power is in that word to transform us. As we behold the glory of God in the word, it transforms us and changes us from glory to glory by the spirit of the Lord. It's miraculous putting it before us and reading that. And it has this incredible ability to produce that same commitment, Hallelujah. same passion, same faith inside us. And so I want to have a look at that. But just before we do, let's just have a look at this scripture in 2 Chronicles 7.14. Humbling ourselves. Seeking his face and turning off from it our wicked ways. Because this is the key to revival in our lives personally. If we live this scripture, you will never backslide. You can never, you'll never be out of church. You'll never go your own way, do your own thing. You will keep the Sabbath and you'll make it a holy day. Now, okay, we're not in the Old Testament, but there is a Sabbath that was set up even before the Old Testament when God created the the earth in six days and he rested on the seventh. And so there is a rest day that God talks about. And God has chosen for the gathering of the people to come together. And so these, there's different kinds of prayer. But this is a prayer of consecration where we just come before God and we kind of put ourselves on the altar. And I'm going to talk about that in a a minute. And how some of the old Pentecostal teaching talked about, have you put yourself on the altar? And what that means and what that looks like. But look at this when it says, if my people, God says, who are called by my name will humble themselves. You know that word humble, it means to bring down low, to bring ourselves down low. We know that God has created us as a new creation, that he's raised us up as sons. He's seated us in heavenly places. Next to Jesus Christ, Jesus has given us all his authority, all of his power, He's given us a name that we're called by. But you know, within that, there is this sense of bringing ourselves low before God and being grateful, filled with thankfulness and gratitude and being about the Father's business. Amen. And so that word, humble, means to bring low into subjection, to come under, to come under. To bend the knee. Wouldn't it be great for us to come on in and you'd often see the old revivals and coming before God. And you remember Western Carrier and before he'd move in miracles, he'd bend his knee and humble himself before God. And that's coming again where people can lie prostrate before. He's the king. He's the king of all the earth. He is the great I am. And he's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. In the throne right now, the oh, yeah. angels are circling his throne and his glory and his majesty Amen. and all that can come out of their mouth is worthy, yes. worthy, worthy. Amen. Praise God. Praise and when, God. when I, I read that, I want to bow my knee. I want to be found to be one that is crying out, he is worthy. And so that word, so humble ourselves, and so we're bringing ourselves low before God. We're not coming in there, hey, look at me, God. We're coming in, understanding that we're a new creation. We're saved by his grace. But I'm coming to bow my knee because, yes, you've made me a king, but you're the king of kings. He is the great king of kings. And I'm only a king because he's made me a king. You're only a priest. We're only priests and kings because he's, he's, he's bestowed that upon us. We haven't done anything to deserve that. It's because of his great mercy and his great love for us. And so if we seek his face, and that word seek is, is worship or prayer, which is what we were talking about last week, coming before him and seeking him in worship and a prayerful attitude. And by implication, it means, this word seek means to strive after. And so I'm asking myself, Vanessa, what are you striving after? What is consuming your thought life and your passion? What am I striving after? Because I want to be striving after him. I mean, Jesus said, what if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? You can gain everything, but then lose it for 80 years and then lose everything. And so this is seeking him means I am striving after seeking him more and more. The, um, the apostle Paul said that this is eternal life, to know him, yeah. to know him, yeah. and Jesus Christ, whom he sent. And so that is our passion, to know him. Right. To know and know and know, and there's layers and layers and layers of his goodness. There's just the multi, multiple that we can't come to know the end of who God is. He sees another area of his goodness, another area of his majesty, and yet there's more before, more before us that we haven't seen. And so we're seeking after that word to seek also means to ask, to beg, to beseech, to desire, to inquire and make request. And so we're coming before God, bowing our knee to him in and, and, and a sense of, God, I've come to seek you. I've come to seek who you are, Lord, to make requests, God, show me your will, show me your glory. Yeah. What? What do you want? And so we're not coming with our list of this is what I want. I mean, Jesus, the disciples said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And so Jesus said, this is how you're going to pray. You're not going to be like the Pharisees declaring all of your goodness and everything you've done. You're going to go into your room, you're going to close the door yeah. and you're going to pray in secret and God will reward you openly. He says, and when you come before God, you will hallow the name of God the Lord. You will count him as sacred. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Before you ask for daily bread, you will come before him and you will just remember who he is, his greatness, his majesty, his awesome splendor. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come in my life. Your will be done in my life as it is in heaven the prayer of consecration. Before we get to anything else, that's the form and that's the pattern for prayer Jesus gave us. Praise God. And so it says, turn from your ways. And this word is interesting. It means to turn back, to break, to relinquish, <laughs> to relinquish our ways to him. It actually means to circumcise. And so there is turn from our ways. What are we doing? I'm relinquishing my ways, God. This is what I want to do, but I'm relinquishing this. I'm turning from this. I'm giving you this. I'm going to put this on the altar as a sacrifice. I'm giving it to you. I'm relinquishing. I'm circumcising my heart. I want to go this way. I've got all of these things to do, but God, I'm here before you. I'm bowing my knee, Lord God. I'm seeking you, and Lord, here it is. Here it is. Here it is. It's yours, Father. I'm giving this to you as my worship. I'm giving this to you as an offering. Not my will, but your will be done. Father, Father, Father. Father. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will seek my face, will turn, relinquish from their wicked ways... Those wicked ways aren't necessarily wicked, wicked. I mean, I was looking up that wicked ways and the wicked ways just means dispe- displeasurable to God. A path or a journey or a road that is not God's path, journey or road. It's going another direction. Yeah. It says here that a life that is filled with their own plans. And so it may be not necessarily stealing and killing and hurting people. It's just a road that's not his road. Yeah. Amen. It's, a, it's a natural plan. It's a good plan, but it's not the best plan. And so it's relinquishing that before God. You know, Jesus said, and, you know, and it talks about the churches. It talks about the church that's cold, the church that's hot, yeah. and the church that's lukewarm. It's the end time church. It talks about that. There was two churches in the end times, the church in Philadelphia and the church of La- Laodicea. And we're the church that's on fire. Yeah. We're not a lukewarm church. We're not gonna be a lukewarm church. We will not be, a, a, we're not gonna be that we're on fire for God. We're on fire for God. We're bowing our knee before our King. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, there's another scripture. I don't know whether I should read it, but I mean, this is, this is, this is the heart of God. Isaiah 58, 13 to 14. You can r- write it down. God says, if you will turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure, doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and you'll call my day a delight, my Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honourable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasures, nor speaking your own words. Wow. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and this is what God promises. And I will cause you to ride the high places Praise of God. the earth. And I will feed you on the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so part of our walk with God is that we're giving him our ways, yeah. our thoughts, yeah. our plans, Amen. our pleasures, yeah. our words. And we're taking on his pleasure, his plans, his words. We're one spirit with the Lord. Yeah. And so when people look at us, they should see the Lord. What does God look like in flesh? What does he look like in flesh? We are that representation. And so it's interesting, just getting to our testimony now, you know, in the 70s and the 80s, there was this this kind of, which I'm sharing now, there was this kind of um, emphasis in the church at that time uh, where people would have scriptures like, uh, you can't serve two masters, you know, we come in two masters, okay, we don't serve two masters. We're gonna ha- you're going to either hate one and love the other or love one and hate the other. And Jesus said, you can't serve God and mammon. Right. And he said that in Matthew 6. And so we're, as young believers at 20 years old, we came into teaching on, um, on things like hearing, hearing um, scriptures, like John the Baptist said that he must increase and I must decrease. He is before all. He is above all. Yeah. Because you see, John the Baptist had been preaching and he was the, he was the name in the, in the nation at the time. And then Jesus came on the scene in his life and Jesus started increasing and John had to decrease. That scripture there has been one of our bedrock scriptures. God, that I've got to decrease and you've got to increase. Hallelujah. I've got to decrease. Everything in me, And my natural man has got to decrease so he can increase. And so there were scriptures like that that was was going going on. Um, Here's another one. Do you remember that, Stephen? I forsake all and follow him. Has anyone ever heard that? I forsake all and follow him. And that scripture comes from Luke 9. Where Jesus said, no one having put their hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. Yep. And what does that mean? That means that when we come into Christ, when we come into the things of God, we've put our hand to his plow. And when we have put our hand on to his plow and to his business, we're not looking back at what could have been and what the world offers and what's out there. And I remember we came up into Wellington and Stefan. This was very real for us. We um, came up um, to Wellington and Stefan was a a chef. Uh, He'd been brought in, um, as many of the chefs in Europe had been brought in from Europe. They flew them in um, to New Zealand and they were training the New Zealand chefs. And uh, they were on two year contracts and flown back out. Well, we came up to Wellington and we had a job. just got born again, just got married, and we're really kind of hungry for the will of God. And even back in Wanaka, where we had, um, uh, we had just started to go to a church, and, uh, and there was just this sense in us. And it was a, I think, I believe it was a presence, a cloud of truth that was over New Zealand at the time. Um, Bill Sabrisky and there was a whole lot of these guys that were preaching. Um, and we just had this just desire to burn everything in our old life. <laughs> and so in Wanaka, before we left, we had a bonfire outside the, the place where we were and we put all our, our audio tapes and, and our books and things on, the, on, on this altar before God. And we must've read it in the word somehow. And then we had a bonfire and we burned it all and we felt oh, so good. So good that that was something that was just kind of like in our own walk with God that we were saying no and we were shutting the door on our old life because we were following Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus was a song. No turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. An old song that the church was singing. I've decided to follow him. There's no turning back. The cross is before me. The world is behind me. And that, that, that changed us forever. 28 years later, in fact, more than that now. That's, we've, been, we've been doing church 27 years. This is probably about 36 years later. I feel as if I'm still as on fire and in love with Jesus as I was back then. You know, the word says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is weak. And there's so many Christians that have fainted in the day of adversity, the day of trial, the day of offense, and they faint and they're out of the race. But you put this stuff in your spirit, you will not faint. You will not turn back. You're not going to lose and get out of the race. Because you put yourself on the altar before God in prayer, dying to self. It's not my will that matters. It's his will. Yeah, that's right. Amen. And so we did that. We, we, we burned the stuff. And we, 20, 22, 23 years, ago, we felt so good. Great. And Stephen said, Vanessa, you're giving up cigarettes today. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> and a, yes, I am. Yes. Okay. Put the cigarettes away. And he carried on smoking. And it took another couple of months, and he got a really bad cold. And we thought at the time God had given him the cold, and he stopped smoking. And it was just like, Yes, God, we're in business with you. We mean, we mean this, this is real. And so we came up to, came up to Wellington, and, and Stephen was working as a chef and became a, the, chef, the chef of the um, French ambassador. And, of course, that's all the diplomatic corps, and then all the high flyers and the government officials that are there, and he was cooking for them and coming in, and he started to get a name for himself in that place. And um, one of the very wealthy French people in that society wanted to go into business with Stéphane, because at that time in the 80s, French cuisine was the thing in Wellington. There were certain restaurants that were just top uh, and then there was the beehive, where there was also one of our friends that had gone in there and, and, was, and was cooking. Oh, uh, well, cooking, I shouldn't say cooking, they would slap you for that, was the chef um, there. And so before us was an offer that would have perhaps been our way, and to go into business with this lady. Um, and at the time, as young believers, we just felt in ourselves that that would take us in another direction another direction. And so we said no to that. Now, Stephen now says, I wonder if we should have, (laughs) don't look back. (laughs) Who knows? I mean, who knows whether it would have been a distraction, but for ourselves, we, we put that on the altar. We put that on the, that was our dream to have a restaurant and to be a great restaurant and to go and make a big name. And before we did, I mean, Stefan was already in one of the restaurants there, and it was already being paid well above what a lot of people are being paid today. He was very good at what he was doing. And a prophecy came in and said, you know food, and you know how to cook, and you know how to present meals, you know how to do this. But God says, I am taking you, and I am going to use you, and you're going to create menus, and you're going to serve my people food that is going to cause them to grow, and you are going to be my chef and present my food to my church. And so we, we, we made a choice, and we put ourselves on the altar. Now, what is that word, putting yourself on the altar? Do we hear that anymore? Putting himself on the altar came from when Abraham, and when God had visited Abraham and he, he was childless, he was, Sarah was barren and he had no child as an inheritance. And then God came to him and said, I'm gonna give you a son. And in that son and in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And we find out, to keep the story short, that Sarah became pregnant, they had the son, and he grew up, and then God visited him, and he said, Abraham, he said, I want you to take your son your only son, and I want you to take him to Mount Moriah, and I want you to offer him up there on the altar for me. And so Abraham, his faith in God and his faith in who his God was, he took his son, he took his servants, and he took his son, and they walked up to Mount Moriah. And then he told his servants, you stay down here. He said, "The son, my son and I are going up the mountain. He says, and we will return. And he got the fire ready, he got the fire ready, he put, and he got the sun, and he got the fire fire ready to be offered. This son was an older young man, 13, maybe 13 years old, whatever, around that that time. And the son knew what was going to happen. The father knew he was actually going to put his son on the altar, and he was going to raise his knife, and he was going to kill him, and he was going to offer his son to God. Now this was not unusual because Abraham, before he had come into a relationship with God, he was a sun worshiper. And many of the pagan religions at that time would offer their children in the fire to their gods. And so this was, this was a normal practice in some of the nations around them. And so for him to offer his son, Abraham had faith in God that I'm going to give you my dream I'm giving you my son, he's my dream, he's my social security, he's my inheritance, he's my everything, my only son, and I'm going to put him on the altar for you, because you've asked, that's my dream, and as he raised his knife, God said, stop, don't do it, don't kill the son, he says, now that I know that you will not withhold your son, your only son now God could actually bring his son, his only son, and offer his son on the altar of sacrifice on Mount Moriah where Jesus Christ was crucified on behalf of us. That was a covenant that took place then. If God could find one man on the earth that would give his son of promise, his only son, and offer him on the altar, then God by covenant could come into the earth and offer his only son on behalf of all mankind. God found one man who was prepared to give himself, humble himself, not go his own way, not do his own pleasure, not do his own thing. And God provided the lamb. And so in the, in the 80s, when it talked about, have you put it on the altar? That's what they were talking about. And so we, we put our, our passion, our desire, we had a desire, I mean, oh, we had a lot of desires for a lot of things. And we, one by one, when they came into our heart, we said, Father, we're laying that on the altar. Yeah putting that on the altar. You know our dream. You know, Lord God, what we want to do. But Father God, we're taking this. Here it is. This is yours. And we're giving it to you as a sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. And just pray. (laughs) Father, the desire, the will, Father God, our will, our desire, we're laying it on the altar. You answer by fire. And we give this to you. Not my will, but your will be done. And that became our language, not my will, your will be done. We're giving this to you, Father. Praise God. That changes you forever to keep in that place. It's not our will. Where did we get that from? We got that from Jesus. When he went to the cross and he said, Father, if there's any other way, any other way that we can save humanity but to go to the cross. To go into hell, God, if there's any other way, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus spoke and he said, I'm I'm about the Father's business. So, reading that, we've said, I'm about the Father's business. You know, starting the church when we had four little children, our youngest one, Karis, was six months old, and we hired the hall in Moera. Getting up. Six o'clock in the morning to get down to the hall. Many times we had to hose that hall out because it had a party the night before, and the, just the beer was all on the wooden floor. The, the beer, the drink was all you know stuck stuck on the wooden floor. And we'd come down there and just hose the hall out. Have all the doors open so the wind could dry out the uh, floors before the people would come at ten. You know, we had for our children's church the kitchen, and we opened the oven door, turned the oven, the oven heaters on. I mean, Osh wouldn't like it, but then you know, close the door, turn the oven on, let it heat the place up, close it. Now, children, come on in now. You know, real humble beginnings. Humble beginnings when we worked in some of the top five-star hotels around the nation, and have been offered top pay packets or top remuneration. But that didn't bother us because we were about the Father's business. And there's nothing, nothing, nothing that I will not do for him because he's done everything for me. I'm here because of him. Yep, that's right. And if he wants me to do something, then I'm here to do it. Amen. You know, the I must die was another Was another saying, the eye must die, the eye must die. And where did we get that from? Well, we get that from Isaiah 14, where Satan, Lucifer, the son of the morning, who was glorious, most creative, beautiful, um, gifted being that God had, had created in the angelic realm, one of the archangels, they believe. And God says to him, there, let's have a look. It says, how you've fallen, O Lucifer, son of the morning, And how you've been cut down to the earth, you who weakened the nations. For you said in your heart, in his heart, he said, I'm going to ascend into heaven. I'm lifting myself up. I'm going to exalt my throne above the stars. I will sit on the mountain of the the congregation in the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high. And yet God says, you're going to be brought down to the pit, to Sheol the pit. And so that. That little little phrase there, I, I must die. It's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. I will not ascend myself. I will not promote myself. Jesus said, don't go to the front. He said, how embarrassing, because someone's going to tell you to get to the back. Don't push yourself forward. Promotion comes from the Lord. And so I think, oh, okay, yes, Lord but Lord, but Lord. And then as young preachers and you heard heard things coming out of the states of these churches that were starting and growing, thousands of people turning up. And then we're in little New Zealand and you're comparing yourself with these great ministries. And then the word comes to you. Don't compare yourself to others. Okay, Father. Yeah, where do you get all of those words? You get that on your knees, praying before God and crying out to him and saying, Father, forgive me for comparing myself. Forgive me, Lord God, for trying to compete with other people. Forgive me, Lord God, for being proud and arrogant. Lord, cleanse my heart. Hallelujah. Cleanse me from these secret faults that are in here. Praise God. And so we lay ourselves on the altar. That's part. That's part of what God's called us to do. And so God needs us to put ourselves on the altar. There's places and things he's got for you to go. There's high places that he's got for you to go. But we can't get there unless we humble ourselves. You know, Moses, he came before God as a young man at 40 years old, and he knew he was called to be a deliverer. He knew he was a speaking gift and a declaring gift. And he tried to deliver the nation by himself with his own strength and his own might and his own power 40 years too early. And so he went out and ran away into the wilderness And for 40 years, he learned to die. He had to die to himself. He was one of the top generals in the army in Egypt at the time. He was the adopted son of Pharaoh's Pharaoh's daughter. And so he was somebody. He was a a, a champion in in the secular world. But God had to take him away while he ran away. He ran for his life. And then for 40 years, he's learning to die to himself. And then God turns up on the scene when he'd finally died, <laughs> no longer it's me, and, and now God says, Moses, you're now ready. You're now ready to be my deliverer. And he goes, no, no, I can't go, I can't speak, I'm not going, I can't do this. And God says, you're going to speak, and my words are in your mouth, and you're going to declare the great I am. And he was one of the greatest deliverers of the nation in history. And so there's an eye inside us that is needing to die. And it needs to continually be put on the altar because it's amazing how it resurrects itself. There is a resurrection of the old man. And when it's, I want to do this, and this is my time, mothers, we actually don't need a my time, to be honest. I didn't know that. And, 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 and when our children were little, I didn't actually, that, that wasn't a cliche that was out in the 80s my time, we were mums, and that was what our calling was, and, and, and by grace, we did what we did, and uh, I uh, people would say, how do you do that? I think, how do I do what? This is just what you do. There's the grace of God is there to be a mother of one child. If, when you've got two, there's more grace for two. When you've got three, there's the grace for three. Ask Margaret O'Hagan. She's got eight. There's grace for eight. Ask the, ask the clerks. There's a grace there. And we're there to serve. The greatest in the kingdom is a servant. That happens on our knees. And that prayer of consecration. And that's the kind of spirit and heart that's going to shift nations and going to shift things in the spirit realm. Praise the Lord. Daily humbling ourselves before God. It's going to keep us in the race. It will keep us in the race. Praise the Lord. And so I just want to have a look at just a couple of just, as, you know, just kind of just closing or otherwise just on our final point, just looking at some of our great champions and our great men that have done some amazing things for God and what their life, to me, has been noted for. We've already looked at, uh, looked at Moses. And Moses was known as a man of prayer when God said to Moses, come on up the mountain. You come on up the mountain. The elders are going to stay at the bottom of the mountain. The children of Israel are going to stay far from the mountain. But there was one guy that came with him, and that was Josh. (laughs) Josh came on up the mountain, Joshua and Moses. They came up on that mountain together, and just to be there with God, just in that that place of humility, that time of prayer. And so it's interesting how when um, God was looking for a new leader, who's he looking for? He's looking for a man of prayer. He's looking for a man of prayer. So when Moses moved on, a man of prayer, he's looking for his replacement and he finds Moses. A man who loved the presence of God. When Moses came down off the mountain, Josh didn't come off the mountain. He stayed in the presence of God. And men, God is calling men in this nation to rise up and to start to, bear, to, to lead your house in prayer. Now that is a prophetic word that God is wanting to see the men leading their house in prayer again. Not only the women praying, yes, the women can pray, but men, God wants you to pray. God wants and he needs you to pray. Your children need to see you in prayer. The children need to see us in prayer. It's interesting. Samuel is a great testimony. He's consecrated um, his life and his life was consecrated in prayer to God even before his birth. With Hannah, who was barren and she couldn't have a child, and, and, and Eli, the backslidden prophet, came and spoke to her and said, You're going to have a child. And so she soaked that little guy in the womb in prayer. And when he came out, he was already dedicated to the Lord all the days of his life. And so parents, you're on your knees dedicating your children to the Lord. And I would continue to do that daily. God, here they are. They're yours. They're on the altar, Father God. They're called by your name. They are yours. Yes. Amen. And you soak them in prayer. Yes. You soak them in consecration. And we find little Samuel, he was so used to the presence of the Lord that the whole nation is backslidden. And then God comes and visits a little guy that's just a preschooler. And start speaking to him. And he's already hearing the voice of the Lord. And let me just read you his, his read you Samuel, what is it? Samuel, he was a national leader, he was the last judge of Israel, a prophet, a priest, he was a Nazarite, and he was an intercessor of Israel. He'd heard his prayers of his mom. And so he was a prayer. And he was a great influencer. And his scripture, he says here on his deathbed, hear, the, hear his heart. 1 Samuel 12:23 it says, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. Now we can take that. That's mine. That's my word. I can take that scripture and I can say that's for me. But I'm not going to sin against you, Lord. He's saying here, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord and ceasing to pray for you. So if we're not praying, we're actually sinning against the Lord. If we are not praying, we're sinning against the Lord because we're called to pray. And this man on his deathbed before he goes to be with the Lord, this is his final words. What a, what, a, what, a, what a final chapter to your life that I've taught you the good and the right way. You know, Samuel was the one that said to King Saul, the first king of Israel, he said, when you were small in your own eyes, he says, you were doing really well. He says, but you've become big in your own eyes and now you've fallen and the kingship's been taken from you. And so we stay small in our own eyes and we are qualified authority. Hallelujah. But when we start to get big in our own eyes and pride and arrogance, yeah. we lose the anointing. Right. The anointing cannot stay around pride and arrogance and I will. Amen. The anointing and the power and the miracles, the signs and wonders can only flow in men and women who have got to h- humble and walk humbly before their God. Amen. Hallelujah. And so that takes time. It took 40 years for Moses And you see some of these men like Isaiah, and there's some of the the heart cry of them, that he said that you've 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 sharpened me, God, you've polished me, and you've hidden me in your quiver. And I'm I'm waiting for you to use me, Lord God. And I'm saying in my heart, Have I labored for you for no purpose? Have I spent all my strength for nothing? What what's going on in my life? I'm not being used. Well, God's doing some things in the unseen realm. When you're on your, on your knees in prayer and you're putting yourself on the altar and you're saying, not I will, uh, but, my, but your will be done, God is doing some pruning. Jesus said, he said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. He said, if I don't prune you, you're not mine. And so I need to prune off the flesh and I need to prune off the I will and all of the arrogance that's in the human natural man. I need to prune it all off because you can't be used like that. It'll destroy you. The anointing that healed is also the anointing that can destroy And so God doesn't release all of his power on the church because there's so much sin in the church, lack of prayer, sin, that the anointing can't operate. It'll hurt people. And if people get a bit of power and they get a bit of anointing, and then pride rises up and says, oh, the, the, the greatness of my hand has wrought me this, exactly what uh, Josh, um, Luke was reading. But you shall remember, it's the Lord your God that gives you the power. And so all of this is dedication and consecration to our God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Daniel, uh, uh, Joshua, not Joshua, sorry, David. Again, he's so well known. His life as a teenager, consecrated before the Lord. And these are some of the scriptures that we've put in our victory program when we're looking at preparations of the heart. And if you haven't got that, that book of ours, then I'd encourage you to get there and use it as your prayer journal and just start to, to pray these prayers David, on his knees before God in Psalm 139:23, and he says, God, search me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the path everlasting. And so you get down on your knees and you go, Father, God, search my heart. I'm here. This doesn't happen when you're driving on your way to work, guys. Some people that are having a prayer time and pray on their way to work, you don't do this at work, you'll have a crash. <laughs> you've got to get on your knees and you've got to close the, the door by yourself and you've got to put yourself on the altar and just go, Lord God, your light, shine it into me, shine it into my motives, into my thoughts. Is there any jealousy? Is there any alternative motives? Have I been arrogant here? Have I, have I, have I you know just disrespected my leaders? What's going on here? Have I been angry? Is there unforgiveness? search my heart, have a look inside and see what's there, and then lead me in the path everlasting. And the times that you've done that, and I knew you would know it, and God points his finger at something, and you go, oh, no. Oh, no. How embarrassing. I'm more embarrassed that people would see that in me. And then that's pride. And then you have, oh, God, that's pride. I put that on the altar. (laughs) Oh, people see that there's, oh, that fault. You know, and then you're getting more distraught about because people see that fault in you rather than because the fault's there and it needs to be dealt with. And so all of that God is in your heart and he's rearranging and sorting stuff out and cleansing you. The blood's washing. The blood washes us from secret faults. Psalm 17, it says here, you've tested, David, you've tested my heart. Test me. You've visited me in the night. You know in the night in your dreams when you sort of like your, your, your defenses are down and you kind of chilled out rather than defense, don't come near me. Don't anybody tell me what I'm doing wrong. There's nothing wrong with me. Anyone points anything out and people get offended. Don't talk about me like that. We all know that we're human. That's right. If we put ourselves on the altar, people wouldn't have to point those things out the leaders wouldn't have to deal with that. Your husband wouldn't have to deal with that. Your wife wouldn't have to deal with that. If you put yourself on the altar, God will deal with that in private. But just between you and him. And you get out of there and you're all clean and you're all fresh and you're all lovable. That's what God does when you put yourself on the altar. He burns up the wood, the hay, the stubble and the gold and silver and precious stuff in your life. It will remain. You want God to burn all the junk up. It's holding us down. It's weighing us down. It harasses your mind, takes away the peace. That's right. But when there's just gold left, wow. Hallelujah. And so at nighttime, God, visit me in my dreams. You've tried me and you've found nothing. Oh, isn't that nice when you go into the secret place and you're before the Lord and say, Dad, is there anything here? Whew. It's all clean. Today we're all clean. <laughs> I'm talking about a daily walk with God. You do this daily, and and, and you're not going to pick up a lot of junk. But if it's only once a month, once a year, I mean, gosh, you've got some baggage. You've got some baggage that you've picked up along the way. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress concerning the works of men. My goodness me, the works of men, doesn't it get you upset sometimes? And David's saying here, I've purposed that my mouth will not transgress concerning the works of men <sighs> hold the tongue there's a lot of reason to make criticisms and, criti- and critical comments but he says I've purposed with my mouth put a guard put a watch on my mouth Lord God put a watch on my mouth that's where most of the sin comes out yeah. it's either going in with food or what's coming out through speaking gee Hallelujah. gee you know, there's things like fasting. We did a lot of fasting in those days. My goodness me, the joy of fasting. Yep. Just, to, just to, it's you know, just fasting. We would do a one-day fast, and oh, my goodness me! You can hear how loud your flesh is when you stop eating. Yep, that's right. If you want to know how much control your old nature has on you, stop eating for a while and listen to it scream. All of a sudden you'll decide to fast and mo- normally some people don't have breakfast in the morning but you decide the night before to fast and all of a sudden you wake up in the morning and breakfast is the first thing on your mind. <laughs> I'll tell you. And then lunch and morning tea, afternoon tea. you know. And Normally you have to get past the first three days. Once you get past the first three days, it shuts the voice of the yeah, flesh down. That's right. Amen. And then you can go for five, 10, 20 days. And, and part of that is to shut down the flesh to let your old nature know that you are a spirit being yep, right. and that you are perfect in your spirit and the voice of the old nature does not have that's rule over right. you. Amen. And so we would fast Milo back then. Milo was one of my favorite drinks. And so um, Stefan would say, well, we're we going to fast. And he was leading the way. <laughs> and so stopping, I had, used to have three teaspoons of sugar. Oh, Back then, and that no, 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 Stephen's saying now we're no longer having sugar, Vanessa. Okay, and so okay, saccharin. So no, we're not having that poison. So no, London. <laughs> Till eventually he weaned me off sugar altogether, off of Milo, and, and, and I didn't drink coffee for ten years, until we had Karen Tugwell as our secretary in the in the office, and, that, and then she introduced me to it again. <laughs> Lovely coffee, thanks, Karen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Some of those things, some of, the, I mean, some of those things, like fasting television. You now certain things that you can fast just to shut down the voice yeah. and it will give you the spirit authority over. Yeah. And so when you're praying in your quiet time with God, just say, Father God, help me, help me to know how I can consecrate and dedicate my life to you, continue. What can I do to exercise myself to cut away things, to cut away choices and desires? And if you do those little things and start with some little things, when it comes to some big things, it's gonna be easier to do. Rather than taking on the Goliath in your life, you take on some of the lions and the bears, some of those smaller things that you can do Fasting one meal and just seeing how you go. Can you handle that? Or do you get angry with everybody? Get irritable? You know, it's, it's, it's just, it's, 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 and we were taught this in those early days. Amen. We were taught to recognize what does the voice of the flesh sound like? Well, hey, you, you shut yourself in the, in, in the room and start to pray for an hour. And if you haven't done this before, you'll have all kinds of thoughts coming into your mind, praying in tongues. I need a coffee right now. I need to go to the toilet. I'm itchy. (laughs) I'm I'm uncomfortable. (laughs) It's almost like feeling like a toddler. It's, It's like having a toddler in you. You're trying to focus on God and all of a sudden there's all kinds of thoughts that come up, all kinds of things that are happening. I must do this now. I have got to text somebody right now. No, put your phone away. Don't take it into your prayer room. Put your laptop away. Don't take it into your prayer room. Just you and God come into the prayer and make yourself pray in tongues for 15 minutes and don't shift. And tell your body, stop it. Be quiet. Hallelujah. That's right. Slap yourself. Amen. You're not allowed to slap your children, but no one said you can, can't slap yourself. Glory. Hallelujah. And pull yourself in, rein yourself in. You know, King David said, if, you, if we cannot have dominion and authority over our own soul, greater is he that is able to have dominion over his own soul than he that can take a city. Yeah, right. And our soul is the old nature. And so that was David, and he was in war times, talking in war times. He said, a man that has control of his soul, you're a spirit being, is a greater man than a man that can take down a city. And so that's part of that consecration is bringing that before God. And when we fall, the righteous man falls, we're gonna fall seven times, you can rise up again. Yep, that's right. God is proud of us when we start to put ourselves on the altar, when we start to confess, God, it's not my will. I'm here for you, Father God. I'm a man of my word. I'm a woman of my word. I'm a woman of commitment. I'm one of the excellent ones in the earth. I'm about my father's business. I'm learning obedience by the things that I suffer. Jesus had to do that. The Bible said that he learned obedience. He had to learn obedience. He obeyed. He was king. He was God. And yet he learned obedience by obeying his earthly parents, whom he had created. And he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a human being, a servant. And then he humbled himself even further to the point of death. And so we take that on ourselves as I am humbling myself to the point that Vanessa, Stefan, we are dying to self, Hallelujah. that the self, our desires, our plans do not have a voice in our life. It's about the Father's business. I'm dying to that. Hallelujah. If Jesus hadn't learned that, he could not have gone to the cross. Right. He would have bailed out. And so we know that we're dead is when people criticize us and point fingers at us and put us down and we don't react. I'm still learning not to react. But pastors probably have more bullets fired at them than any other person in the body of Christ. But you're having to learn not to react and not to... I mean, the pastors right now in our nation, they're leaving. They're leaving the pulpit because they can't handle it anymore. The pain and the hurt and the accusation. And so we get down on our knees and We pray. Here's one here, just let me read this psalm. Is is, is this helping anybody? Amen, hallelujah. Psalm 19, 12 to 13. These are scriptures that are part of who we are and what we can bring before God in prayer. Who can understand his errors? And he's talking to God, cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. And then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. God, you bring that before God and you say, God, those secret faults, keep them back from me. Presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. That is a prayer that we could pray daily. This is not being sin conscious. This is actually being dedication conscious. Consecration conscious. Praise the Lord. Just let's have a look. I just want to... Finish with Daniel. I just want to read this to you. Daniel was a, was was faithful to God in all his life. He lived before, during, and beyond the seventy years they reckon he lived into it to be one hundred and ten years old. Daniel. There is no recorded uh, fault found in this man. No recorded fault found in Daniel. And it says, while Jeremiah was prophesying to, the Jew, to Judah and Ezekiel was a spokesman to the Jews, Daniel prophesied in the courts of the pagan kings who ruled the world. Very few people have had that place of authority. And one thing he was known for was prayer. Three times a day, men, he prayed. He was a, business, he was a busy man, he was a governor. He had decisions to be made, to, to make in high places. And yet he spent three times a day before God on his knees, praying for God and his will. That's what kept this man in a place of stability. Four pagan kings he was the advisor for, and not one of them faulted him. Every one of them loved him. He had favor with every single one, and he was able to direct these men to the great I am. God couldn't trust him with authority and with anointings and wisdom that was 10 times greater than anybody in all of the realms of Babylon and Medo-Persia. Why? This man had stayed humble before his God. And when he was threatened by the satraps who were so jealous of him and wanted to wipe him out, and so they got King Darius to make a decree that no one is to, um, to come before any other God except your God, King Darius. And if they do, they're gonna be thrown in the lion's den. And Daniel heard that decree, and he wasn't put off by that. He had the strength in his relationship. He knew who his God was. He knew that his God was the king and, and God of all the earth. And so with his window open wide, as was his custom, he knelt down before God and prayed. Hallelujah. God. And as you, as, you, as you know the story, he was put in the lion's den. An overnight stay in the lion's den. <laughs> And King Darius said, the God in whom you trust and believe, he is able to save you, Daniel. And God did save him. Where does that come from? That doesn't just happen. That comes from a man that was dedicated to prayer, dedicated to a consecrated life before his God. Praise the Lord. Praise God. So just as we're closing, how are we gonna stay strong? How are we gonna do what God's called us to do? My house, a house of prayer for all nations. We are a house of prayer. Victory, if you're a part of this house, we are a house of prayer. And so as um, one of the pastors in this church, I'm asking us, I'm asking us to start to seriously, seriously take this word and begin to carve out for yourself in your 24-hour period of a day, beginning with 15 minutes, if the Indian Church could do that for 15 minutes, praying in tongues, taking the victory program, buy one out the back, you know, when you after the service here, and take a hold of the preparations of the heart, bring your heart before God, and consecrate it, repent, humble ourselves before God, seeking His face, turning from your ways, so that God can hear from heaven, and bring healing to our city. And to our nation. That's his promise. He's a God of his word, and he's a God of his commitment, and if we do our part, we're going to see God do his part. So I'm not asking you to do an hour. Jesus said, could you not watch him pray one hour? We're going to move into one hour as a church, but let's just begin even this week, 15 minutes speaking in tongues, and I'm, and I'm not talking about praying in tongues as you drive to work. That's good, and that's the overflow. I'm talking about going into your room. And getting a comfortable place, shut the door and pray for 15 minutes in tongues. And Father God, here you are, take the scriptures and just pray them pray them in English, and then after you've prayed them in English, then consecrate yourself and then calltha.